When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam! I'm telling you, it's time to party! Welcome to the Red Seat Podcast. This is episode number 278. I am Bob Osgood, your host for this week, and I am joined by Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster. And Keaton, let's get right to it. Are the Red Sox good? Yeah, yeah, I think they are. You can follow Keaton at the Spoken Keats. You can follow me at Bob Osgood fifteen and um, Over the Monster at Over the Monster. And uh, we don't have Jake this week. He'll be back next week. You can follow him at Dev Jake. And um, our email is redseatpodcast at gmail.com. We got a great question on there. We got some great tweets today. And the reason, of course, that I asked that is since the last time we recorded, we did not record um, during last week. We recorded on. The 27th was the last episode, and there have been 10 games since that time. And the Red Sox took two out of three from the Guardians at home, and then they had a four-game sweep of the Toronto Blue Jays at home, followed by taking two out of three from the Philadelphia Phillies on the road, and in the middle of those 10 games was an eight-game winning streak. Um, So I figured we would kind of start first with a discussion about the team at a high level and then get into some of the individual players um that have kind of broken out or you know done what they're supposed to do kind of see you know what's for real and what isn't so um i guess keaton since the last time uh, that you were on how much differently do you feel about this team and you know in a little more detail what do you think is real and what do you think is not yeah i do feel differently about the team so the last time uh, that we talked, um, 
was um was like three weeks ago um they were a game under 500 i think at the time yep um or right at it um and my big i don't know what you want to not really take away or impression of the team was or observation there we go that's the word i was looking for um which is how incredibly inconsistent they were and i was like pointed out how it was kind of nuts how they were even able to be 500 with how incredibly inconsistent they were because it was just it was pretty much every phase of the game was uh at, like taking a night off seemingly every night uh something was just not working at all the starting pitching was imploding uh, but the bats were still looking great or the bats were not there uh not able to pick up like a gem of a start uh, really the only thing that was consistent was the bullpen um was looking good and that was i think one of the only positions uh or areas of the team that we were kind of excited about coming into the year because we finally had uh real structure in the bullpen uh, nice looking closer nice seven eight inning options um long relief options the kind of utility options there uh and some depth there uh and some some backup for uh, when guys in the rotation were gonna have to miss some time that the bullpen could still keep its shape um and that has been consistent throughout um now we have seen a whole lot more consistency um the starting pitching has been consistently bad um, but at least that has been consistent. Uh, but the bats have been consistently awesome, and that is really what's been carrying them has been the bats in the bullpen. It has been really fun to watch. Um, some things is that uh, I've noticed or some kind of uh, my takeaways here, Red Sox bullpen um, has the fourth most innings pitched in the major leagues. Now, that doesn't seem all that surprising to me, does it? Um, would no. you believe that Tampa Bay is number one? That also doesn't really seem all that surprising. No. Uh, but Miami and Oakland are the only other two teams that have had their bullpens throw more innings than the Red Sox. Red Sox bullpen is also 8-1, and one, uh, which I thought was really interesting. Um, considering the performance of the starters, I just thought that was really kind of hilarious to, to see how successful the relievers have been at getting the team wins versus the starters. Yeah, well, I think, and, and not to, to cut you off there, but we, we talked the last time you were on about you went through game by game how many you know starters were not able to go or not allowed to go past five innings, right? Um, well, if you don't go five innings, then you can't get a win, and it has to go to the bullpen. Yeah. And then the earlier that you're pulling those starters, just, you know, by the rules of math, if they're in there for three or four innings, then that's the decision is probably going to go to the bullpen. And you also, um, before we started recording, mentioned about Tanner Houck being the only qualified starter Um I think that you said, right, that, that yeah. so far where you have to throw one inning for all of your team's games, you know, you'd have to throw 162 innings in 162 games. Um, and you said that there's only one person that is on pace to do that. Yeah, he's the only one. And to round out the bullpen, the Red Sox have 10 saves, only two blown saves, 
That is the lowest number of blown saves in the entire major leagues, which is a far cry from the past three years where they've led the majors in blown saves. So that, that is, I mean, the, just the construction's bullpen is just completely different. So it's that, that piece really isn't a surprise, but just how great and how hot the bats have been lately is really kind of what's been propelling them to these. And that, that I believe is real to answer your question, because really my observation from before was just that it was incredibly inconsistent and now it's not. Um, do I think they're going to continue to be this hot? I don't. Um, because they've, they've got some guys that are just doing absurd things right now at the plate. So that they're just bound to regress. But as long as they're consistent, they stay consistent. That's all I need to do to have success. So that I think is real and manageable. And then now we're just waiting on the starting pitching. Cause there's that, that is an absolute mess. And, uh, that one, I, I don't know if it's real or if it's not, cause I feel like these guys should be better. Um, Chris Sale for the most part has, uh, has been nice. I'd like to see how that, that line keep getting better, but, uh, we gotta have more as starting pitching. Cause we're just, we're just not getting anything from these guys at all. Yeah. That, <clears throat> Totally agree with that. And the first two things that I had on there is that the team can hit and the team has a good bullpen and an elite closer. And you hit on both of those. Um, In terms of the starting pitching, yeah, I mean, are they a good team right now? Yes. Are they built for success for the entire season or for the postseason? No, you you can't be when you have uh, a rotation like this. So, I mean, there is potential. There are pitchers that are coming back. There is you know Whitlock who is on the injured list. There are um, you know others that could take steps forward. So we're not going to draw any conclusions now. But absolutely, the the rotation is is a concern. Um, you know compared to the other things that you brought up. Now on the season as a team at this point, um, the Red Sox have the second best batting average in all of baseball at 271. Only Tampa Bay, who's leading everything has a better average they have the third best on base percentage at 346 they have the fourth best slugging percentage at 452 they have the fifth most home runs at 47 the most doubles by far in the league at 80 um the third most runs with 208 and they have the second best strikeout percentage 19.8 percent which i think is you know a, a really important thing that you know a lot of uh, some of the kind of um, preseason quotes from Alex Corey talked about putting the ball in play and that that was an emphasis of theirs. And just a lot of the quotes you'd see him mention, you know, we want to put the ball in play. Well, when you have a 19.8% uh, you know, K rate, second best in the league, then you're putting the ball in play and they're making things happen. Um, and just so much of the two outs, runner in scoring position, um, keeping everything moving, getting the next guy up, um, They've been really good at that throughout this win streak that that ended on Sunday. Um, so I, I just think all of that is a good sign, and you know it's going to keep them in games. You know they I don't know if they've still allowed the most first inning runs, but they had until recently. And you don't want to be going down early in games, but it's great that the team has been um, clutch. The team has been able to come back. That you weren't I think. Uh, saw this weekend that they have the most comeback wins in all of baseball. Um, so I think kind of generally that says a lot about the team. That says a lot about the clubhouse that we know needed a change. And, you know, while we're not back there in the clubhouse, it just seems like there is kind of a different um, 
you know, mindset that's there. And, and um, you know, that's all good to see. I think specifically in terms of players kind of to get into what's happened over the last 10 days, you know, that eight and two span, those, those three series, Cleveland, Toronto, and Philadelphia, um, just going down the line. We're going to get into Masataka Yoshida a little bit, but in those 10 games, he hit 417 with two homers, eight RBIs, and, and nine runs, and a 2% strikeout rate, which is outrageous. <laughs> um, <laughs> Connor Wong in those 10 games, he played six of them. He hit 417 with three home runs, four RBIs. He had two home runs in one game against Toronto, including the game winner in the eighth inning, and he missed a third home run by a hair. Um, he's really been... Uh, breath of fresh air behind the plate defensively as well of course um jaron duran played all 10 games he's he was hitting 333 in that span uh and manuel valdez hitting 300 playing in eight games alex verdugo hitting 294 in nine games Rymel tapia 292 in seven games rafael devers 282 in 10 games with two homers and 10 rbis um and even christian arroyo who's now on the il he was um, hitting 500 over the six games that he played um, and striking out at a low rate. So it was contagious. It was all the way top to bottom. They didn't have anybody below 240 on the entire team uh, batting average-wise in that 10-game span. So, um, Keaton, if there was kind of a player that you want to hit on from the batting side of things, who would it be uh, out of that group that we just mentioned? There's two guys. First is Alex Verdugo. Uh, and the reason being, uh, we're doing all of our kind of like preseason predictions. Uh, Verdugo was a guy that I had my eye on. It's a guy that I thought was going to have a really good season because everything that he did in the second half of – well, I mean, not just the second half of last year, but the entire year. He, just, he had a ton of bad luck in the first half, and I just – I bought into – that being exactly what it was, it was bad luck that um, that stuff was going to turn around. And he had uh, a much better second half, though it got lost in where the team was and the frustrations of everything else. And also the frustrations with um, the other parts of his game where he was running into outs. Um, he was making a couple terrible defensive plays as well. Um, so what he was doing offensively was just kind of getting lost in just the shittiness of the rest of the team and some of the other mistakes he was making. Right. But he did have a nice second half of the year. And I really felt like it was going to be easy for him to keep that going because he hit the ball extremely hard and extremely well all year, but just had a really, really extended period of bad luck. Uh, his BABIP last year in the first half, uh, of course, now I closed the tab, was like, what did I say? It was like two fifty something. Yeah, I don't know. it was. It was a huge think. difference, and I know that yeah. the, the WRC plus was about between forty yeah, 80, and fifty difference between the first and second half. Eighty three WRC plus in the first half, one hundred twenty four in the second half. Right, uh, hitting over three hundred really kind of swung things around. It was just, it was it was much more comfortable. It really felt like he was going to be able to keep that going. So I was really looking forward to him having that finally having that breakout year where he kept was able to put together for an entire season. That's exactly what's happening. And I think what made me laugh here uh, before we started recording was that 
his quality of contact is exactly the same this season as it was last year. He's just not having the same bad luck, which kind of proved that theory out that that's what it was last year was just bad luck, which really kind of like when you're hitting the ball so goddamn hard like he is and should be having better results and you're not, then, yeah, you're going to get real frustrated. That's, that stuff's going to build. But he has essentially the exact same exit velocity. It was 89.1 last year. It's 89.6 this year. Launch angle is exactly the same at 8.2. Um, he's hitting it a little bit more on the sweet spot by like a percentage and a half. So it's pretty much the same. Um, hard hit rate's at 40%. He's crushing it. Absolutely crushing the ball. Um, that's right where he was is at last year as well. So it's it's just kind of proving that out that – he has the ability to do it for an entire year. Uh, he's not having the bad luck that he had last year, and this is the result is like just a ridiculous uh, walk-off machine here in Alex Verdugo, which is really fun to see. Yeah, very in the lead. He's got three walk-off hits already, including two uh, in the same week. And doing it from the leadoff spot, which is just, I don't know, I mean... It seems to fit him well. He's been in the leadoff spot for quite a few games this year. I think that he's comfortable there. It just gets him in the flow of the game right away. I mean, there are so many games that it just seems like, you know, the game starts, he hits a rocket, he's on base, and then that just sets the tone from there. I also think that for whatever reason, he plays a better right field than he does left field at Fenway, one of the few people that you can kind of say that about. But uh, he just looks comfortable out there. Um, some of the base running mistakes that he had made in past years, we haven't seen that yet. It's just across the board, you know, and, and that was the thing. You're right. He, he did hit really well in the second half, but it was such a crap sandwich in the second half down the stretch in general that a lot of people didn't notice that. And he was making some mistakes in other parts of the game to the point that Alex Cora called him out and said that he needed to be focused and needed to, um, you know, take the leap more than anybody else going into the season. And he admittedly kind of took that to heart and it motivated him. You know, he said that he heard it and he has shown a lot so far this year. And it's great to see. Um, I think mine, we would be foolish to not talk about Masa Yoshida, who is named the player of the week in the American League today. Um, he's now on a 16 game hit streak where he's at 438. He's 28 for his last 63. And we had a couple of tweets pulled up that we we couldn't even really believe. I feel like I need to watch the film to be sure that this is true. <laughs> but it started um, kind of just about his AL Player of the Week stats, that over those six games he had 27 appearances where he hit 480, um, 519 OBP, 800 slugging, two homers, two doubles, eight RBI, one walk, no strikeouts. 261 WRC plus incredible right and then Will Middlebrooks retweeted it and said that Yoshida um, did not swing and miss at a pitch the entire week so he had 90 pitches seen zero swings and misses 13 balls in play uh, that were outs and 12 hits so I've never heard of anything like that and especially in a three true outcome league and with the kind of relief pitchers and just, you know, general, um, you know, the, the the trend of baseball right now, to see somebody that goes an entire week and sees 90 pitches and doesn't swing and miss at any of them is literally unheard of. I mean, I don't think they 
I don't know if they track it, but if they do, I'd love to know the longest streak of uh, of games without a swing and miss. Yeah, that is that's absurd. That is nuts. <laughs> that is seeing the ball at just an obscene level. That's wild. Right. I absolutely love that so much. Yeah, it's um, he is he is just so locked in right now and. Um, you know, of course, we we joked around after a couple of weeks um, about kind of his slow start in general, um, and he has just turned it around, done a complete 180 over the last 16 games. Um, a couple other hitters that we should talk about: Connor Wong, who yeah, um, that was you know, the other guy I wanted to talk about. Yeah, go ahead, Keaton. Yeah, so last year. Connor Wong obviously was killing it at AAA, and we're kind of wondering why he was not up at the major league level. Finally got called up late in the year. Uh, kind of mixed results. Line doesn't look great, but it looked a little bit deeper. Looks pretty nice. Um, kind of similar to Verdugo. He did have some bad luck, though not um, not nearly as bad. Um, did have some strikeout issues. Um but it wasn't anything that was real crazy or would kind of give you cause for concern. Just kind of felt like a bit of an adjustment period. Doesn't seem like anything weird. Um, and this year's been a lot better. Uh, and we talked a lot about the catcher position in the offseason, and I really wanted to see Wong get a chance because of how he played last year. Um, well, I mean, plan A was somebody outside of your organization that was one of the top tier catching options, but it seemed like they were pretty determined not to do that. So if that was not going to be the case, then I wanted to see Wong get a chance. Um, cause really I think we need to figure out what he is basically at this point. Um, offensively, we know that he's going to be pretty, pretty decent enough defensively, but, um, was he going to be able to figure things out at the major level? And I think given the at-bats is really kind of the only way to figure that out. So um, either you have to give him the at-bats or go in another direction. And he hadn't really been given the chance. So I want to see him give, be given that chance. So it's really nice to actually see that happening now. And then obviously seeing him run with it, seeing him be successful with it. That is a really good thing to see. Um, the other piece of that is he is so good defensively that really – should be any other option at the position for the Red Sox at this point. Looking at defensive runs saved, uh, the Red Sox don't have a ton of guys that are in the positive. No, um, they don't. Connor Wong uh, has the same amount of defensive runs saved as the rest of the guys combined who are in the positive. That's pretty wild. It is. He's an extremely good defensive catcher. And being able to put together, like, above, I mean, definitely above league average for catchers, but, like, being able to add something offensively for that at that position is, like, crazy valuable. So, that's, I mean, this is, this leads into listener question, my old friend Matt Collins here on, uh, I'm going to jump ahead to this now. Because it yeah. seems like a fitting place to ask it. Uh, at Matt R Y Collins asked, sorry, Matt Collins not hacked anymore. Uh, fill in the blank. Next year at this time, Connor Wong is considered a top blank catcher in the MLB. How much are you going to overreact, Bob? 
I'm going to say top 18. What do you think? Wow. Okay. See, this is <laughs> this is why I was this is what I was I was trying to avoid doing here before we started recording because this is I this is where I really struggle because whenever we do these rankings, I immediately default to our dynasty rankings. Oh, just fantasy baseball in general yeah. just creeps into your head, right? Yeah, because we rank a gazillion players at every position, and I was doing the top 500 forever where we were ranking about 700 players. Uh, so it's just super easy for me to do that. And so I immediately was like, oh, well, I could see like top eight easy. And then I thought about it, and I was like, that's a bit drastic Yeah, there. I think I need to calm down. Um, but yeah, thinking of it in terms of like dynasty rankings, that isn't outrageous. But in terms of reality, yeah, that's pretty outrageous. <laughs> so, right. And um, and I think that his batting average, um, I think his expected batting average is around 220, 230, and he strikes out. He's going to strike out, what do you think, 26 to 28% of the time. I'm sure he could cut that down a little bit. But I yeah. think he's kind of. Um, out over his skis a little bit with the batting average, even though I think the power and certainly the defense is for real. Yeah, but I mean, so what he did at the major league level in terms of the strikeout rate last year was 28.6. This year's so far is um, 27.2. It's not that out of line with what he did in the minors. Although surprisingly, it is actually a tick below where he was consistently. Um which is pretty encouraging. Um, in his stellar uh, run there in AAA last year, he was at 22.5, which I don't think is going to be that low. That would be, I mean, if he can get that at the major level, that would be pretty impressive. Right. But I don't think that's going to be something that's really going to hold him back at all. Um, so I'm not too concerned there, especially where that is just in the game today. That's not all that terrible. Like, less than 30, it's... You can live with that. That's not that bad, especially at the catcher position, where you're, just, you're kind of just you're not really looking at, at that as a as an anchor anymore. Right. So, I think top fifteen. I don't think that's unrealistic. No, I don't. I don't either. I think that he is now. Um, you're starting to see the path to him being the the strong side of the platoon, right? Even though you know it, it's opposite for lefty righty but you see him playing two-thirds of the time and whether it's mcguire or backup playing one-third you see how that can happen now he's on a hot streak just like everybody else has been but it's such easy power for a smaller frame um you know wong's listed at 6'1 180 but he just he gets to that power so easily with a quick bat <clears throat> and i think that he is a 15 to 18 home run bat if he plays you know 70 percent of the time i think that he can hit he could hit up to 250 i think he'll probably be in that 230 to 240 range but he's going to play such good defense he's got a 1.88 pop time to second which is third in the league you know real muto is yeah. always going to be first Bethancourt with tampa bay is 1.87 and wong is 1.88 right so he's a hundredth of a second from from the second best and he's thrown out eight runners and then you mentioned the defensive run saved so 
Yeah. I so mean, that's actually where I was just going to adjust was once you start digging deeper into the defense, I'm going to go top 10. Because right now, for all of the catchers in the major leagues, he leads all catchers in defensive run saves. Yep. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, if it's the end of the year and he is still there and he has 15 to 20 home runs, I'm going to totally adjust that. You know, I, I don't want to... Yeah. There are a lot of good catchers in the league, so I'm not going to, after one month, get to that point. But I can... The path is there. I totally what, see it. What was that you just said? What did I say? You said there's a lot of good catchers in the league? Yeah. You don't think so? No, you're making my heart sing, Bob. You know oh, yeah, about I catchers. know. I was actually going to... I was going to start with that, that the, the, the catcher question <laughs> is in your wheelhouse in the first place. Oh, yeah. All right. Um... Any other hitters? I mean, any Jaron Duran thoughts? Um, you know, even Rymel Tapia. It. Yes. Let's finish with Jaron Duran. We talked about Jake and I talked about him a little bit last week. I mentioned how the exit velocity is up, and the max exit velocity was a, a couple miles per hour higher than he had ever hit a ball at the major league level, and that his defense was better. Um, you know, we we talked about some of those things, but what what have you been seeing from Duran? And is that on the this is real list to the point that, um, you know, it's it's beyond just a, a hot three weeks. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I guess a couple caveats. This, no, this is not. This is absurd. Um, but him being a major league player, yes, that is real. Right. Um, the beginning, uh... No. When did I? Shit. No, I don't. God, everything blends together. I wrote At some point, I wrote an article about Duran and basically kind of uh, chronicled his path to the majors and how um, at every step up the ladder, uh, he had an adjustment period, but when given enough at-bats, he was able to figure out every single level and not even uh, figure it out, was able to thrive at every single level and really made significant adjustments at each stop. Um, like really started hitting for incredible average at double A above kind of what people expected him to just kind of be like a speedy defense uh first fourth outfielder and then all of a sudden he started hitting for incredible average and was like oh wow we may have some little extra year then makes the leap to triple a has a bit of an adjustment period and then all of a sudden starts hitting for power yes some of that was the ballpark and how that was a little bit juiced and the balls uh but he was doing it so uh to <laughs> doing it enough uh at, like to the point where it was standing out among others so level playing field Still standing out. Um, and then makes the jump to first jump uh, with the Red Sox here. First couple stints. Um, inconsistent at bats. Uh, inconsistent playing time. Uh, inconsistent role. Uh, really kind of struggled to adjust. That didn't really surprise me. Um, and then on top of it, just uh, everything else that happened where uh, – you know, made a couple errors, things snowballed, ended up with a bit of, you know, the poor attitude and um, that kind of snowballing into other things with guys in the clubhouse and the media and the fans and, and that taking its toll. Um, it was really great. 
to see him coming in this year really looking and feeling like a different person, not only on the diamond but off too, and um, talking about his relationship with his teammates and just how that has also helped him feel and um, more relaxed and just feel different in the clubhouse and on the diamond, and we've seen how that has helped uh, lead to more success. And so uh, basically the point of that article was if he's given the chance – then I think he can figure it out and he can make the major adjustment that he's made at the other levels to be a major league player. It was just a question of was Boston going to be patient enough to give him the chance? Um, Figured last year was the best chance for that as the team wasn't going anywhere. So you're a bit curious if, if they were planning on contending this year, if that, basically giving a guy a chance to figure his stuff out at the major league level fit into their plans. We're really sure. Really happy to see that that is the case. He's getting his, his at bats, he's getting his chance and he's, uh, you know, running with it. So, um, yeah, I think this is, I think him being a major league player and contributing at the major league level consistently is a real thing. Uh, he is unbelievably stupid hot right now. Right. And uh, he is having a lot of luck. So that piece, I don't think is, uh, I mean, that is, that has to regress. He has a 471 bat bip. That is really bananas. Um, so that has to regress. But, yeah, I think him being here to stay, yeah, I buy it. Yeah, I love how he's been using the whole field, too. And some of that power out to center field, both of his home runs out to center. Uh, he has four stolen bases. We've talked a couple times, but the, the new rules are really going to suit him well. And for me, just seeing his defense, uh, he hasn't looked like a liability. He's, you know, to my untrained eye at home, seems to be tracking the ball well defensively. Um and, you know, as I mentioned last week, he's got a max EV of 111.6. Um, K rate down to 25%, which is doable. I think he's just kind of got a, a new swing, a better swing path, um, being more kind of aggressive to the ball to try to be, you know, a hitter that can get on base and let his speed do the damage rather than what he let get to his head possibly um, as a power hitter when he was at Worcester when the wind was blowing out and uh, kind of came up and tried to be the same player got exposed a lot of sw- swing and miss when he first came up and he's improved every year from 36 percent to 28 percent to 25 percent with the strikeouts and that'll play if he's at 25 percent you mentioned the babbit sure yeah he's not going to hit 370 because his babbit is, isn't going to be over 400 but can he be a 280 to 290 hitter um you know it, it, it's definitely possible and if he's that even just hitting sure. 10 home runs, stealing 20 bases, and playing good defense, then that is a more than usable player. Um, you know, if someone who's still, he's 26, but he's early on in his career in terms of service time. So, um, you know, we'll talk a little bit later on about, you know, some questions about Bloom, and it's it's too early. You can't, based off of eight games, but I think one area that um, got bailed out a little bit was in center field because... Duvall got hurt, and that could have been a real hole in center field to go along with the hole of the middle infield. You don't want all three of those positions to be a concern, and Duran 
plugged that hole and um, has made it a, a, a you know an area where not only is he able to play it defensively, but he's not hit ninth. He was up hitting fifth in some of those games midweek. Um, you know, a, a real asset in the lineup somewhere where Cora feels that that he can have him as a left-handed hitter to drive in runs, and that's a totally different you know outcome than what we had talked about previously. So just to get into, um, we're going to hop over to the pitchers a little bit. Um, I do want to just talk about some of the recent transactions because I think it will um, lead into the pitching a little bit. Um, Garrett Whitlock went on the 15-day IL. He's got a bit of a, an elbow injury, which he uh, the team has been downplaying. Some of the, the tests have been positive recently, and he started to throw a little bit, which is a good sign. When that happened, Brian Bayo was recalled. Um, in the last episode, we thought it would be short-lived, that it was kind of a numbers game with Bayo, and we even said, you know, if there is an injury, he could be back in less than 15 days, and he really didn't even miss a start when Whitlock went on the IL. Bayo slid right back into that rotation spot. Um, they activated Chris Martin, who was a, a minimum stay, 15-day IL. Caleb Ort was optioned at that time. Caleb Ort came back when Cutter Crawford was placed on the IL with uh, a back injury. And then Caleb Ort was optioned again when Zach uh, Littell was selected from the minors. He had been claimed, uh, pitched for San Francisco last year and pitched in one game on Sunday and was not very effective, but you know won't overreact to one game. And then the last one is uh, Christian Arroyo with a hamstring placed on the 15-day IL and Bobby Dahlbeck is called up. So... In addition to that, um, we've got an update on James Paxton, and his 30-day rehab has expired. It's at the 30-day point now, and he's expected to be activated in the middle of the week and should pitch against St. Louis uh, next weekend, this upcoming weekend. And in six games for Worcester, he was 2-3. and three. He had a 6.23 ERA, a 1.57 whip. Some of that was skewed from a couple of blow-up outings. I think he was pretty good in four of those outings, and in his last start on Friday, he allowed two runs on two hits. He did walk five in five innings, but he got up to 96 pitches. So I guess the positive from this Keaton is that Paxton is, um, I mean, he's up to 96 pitches, and he's gotten through six appearances without getting hurt, which isn't something that we were able to say last year or in any of the previous four years or so with James Paxton. So he's up to a, a good starter's workload. Seems like he's going to get a start and he's part of, you know, a, a six-man rotation that isn't being called a six-man rotation um, at this point. So do you have any thoughts about Paxton's role or, um, you know, are you surprised that they are putting him right back into the rotation and kind of, do you, you know, do you have any thoughts on how that might shake out or if he's taking anyone's spot? Or might this just work itself out as it always does? No, I'm not surprised at all that they're putting him in the rotation. Um, there's one starter with an ERA under five right now, and that's Nick Pavetta, and it's 4.99. <laughs> that doesn't count. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the starting pitching sucks, man. 
any option they have to try and find something good there, they should try it. So do I have any expectations that it'll work? No. But is it something different? And do I want to see them try it? Yeah, I do. Yeah. So I don't know what the fuck else they can do. <laughs> that's a really good way of putting it. I think that's a lot better than anything I was going to say. Um, yeah, you got to see what you have. And they, they have paid him a decent amount of money to see what they have. And now he's there and he's back, so you probably just got to give him a couple of starts. And you're right, there is nobody on this team that has, you know, with their performance on the field, never mind who they brought in as free agents or what they're paying them or what their prospect pedigree is or if they are, you know... Chris Sale, it doesn't matter. They all have five ERAs or greater. They have all had good starts and bad starts. Um, no one has been consistent, and no one can really complain if they were taken out of the rotation. Um, yeah, that list includes all seven players yes. who have started a game for the Red Sox this year. No one has an ERA under five except Nick Pavetta's 4.99. Unbelievable. And that's what makes it so hard. It's like if you line these seven guys up and they're all healthy and Whitlock is back from the IL 10 days from now, who the hell do you tell to go to the bullpen or the minors or what? And, you know, I continue to say... What's that? Draw straws. Yes, exactly. Um, I continue to think that that there's just so many, um, you know, volatile and injury-prone arms that... Every time there's an opening, someone else has gone on the IL without fail. So I think that will probably happen again. Yeah. Um, but I think the most likely name would be Tanner Houck probably to go to the bullpen if I had to pick one, even though they yeah, have allowed him to pitch deeper into games. But the third time through, he's had some struggles. And uh, the Toronto game, he looked so good two times through. And then the third time, you know, I think there was a fiver or so run inning around the, the, the fifth inning, and then they let him go back out there for the sixth. Um, so, I don't know. I think that, that they were right to give him that opportunity, but he hasn't exactly taken it and run with it, and it's probably the most likely kind of fallback is that that he would go to the bullpen. But we will see. <laughs> Along with that, um, I just think we should reference... Chris Sale at least give a hat tip for what he was doing on Friday and acknowledge the fact that he was maxing out at 99.4. It was extra amped up for the Bryce Harper at bat, who had just gotten a standing ovation um, that was approved by the league to be longer than usual in his return from Tommy John surgery. And Sale said, the hell with this, 99 on the black uh, on four or five pitches in a row, hitting that number. Um... And he wanted nothing to do with their sentimental moment in Philadelphia at that point. So good to see. Um, you know, we knew that it was going to take him some time. It's been four full years since he had gotten this many starts. And now that he has, you know, you got to give him May, you got to give him June to get that velocity back up, and it's there. And, um, you know, I don't necessarily want to see him throwing at 99 sitting there in terms of the strain on his arm, but if he can hit that when he needs to, that's a really good sign. So we'll see if he can string together a few of these starts. Hell yeah. 
All right. Um, the last item on that transaction list, Keaton, was Christian Arroyo, who was placed on the 15-day IL. And Adalberto Mondesi has a knee injury there, and Trevor Story with the elbow, and Yu Chang with the wrist. So that leaves um, Kike Hernandez and Manuel Valdez and Bobby Dahlbeck as your three middle infielders. And we talk about this every week because there's one more injury every week. So I'm sorry that we keep bringing it up, but what is your level of concern compared to our already high level of concern about the middle infield right now? Pretty high. Pretty high. Um, that's not that's not a great defensive duo up the middle. Which one? But duo, both. Yes, I you know I didn't know which which two players we were talking about because whether it's Valdez oh, or well, the two Dahlbeck on the field. Second, is you, all right, so the, any two players on the field, considering the shortstop, uh, leads the league in errors as well as uh, negative defensive runs saved or outs above average. I think it was um, Hernandez making two errors on maybe consecutive plays in the Toronto series and now up to eight errors. So that's your shortstop, and then Bobby Dahlbeck who not come up as a second baseman and um Emmanuel Valdez who has definitely proven that he deserves to stay with the bat uh definitely you know has looked good there um but we talked in our last episode about some ugly errors that he made early on and that's been masked a little bit with his play and just the kind of general um win streak and there that hasn't been exposed in the last couple of games but it's going to happen eventually so hopefully this is a short stay for Arroyo. Um, I think that's a 10-day IL for the hitters, where it's a 15 for the pitchers. So I should have said 10-day for Arroyo. And he really just said that he had been playing through a nagging hamstring injury, and it got to a point where um, you know, it was affecting his base running, it was affecting his range defensively. And they all agreed that taking 10 days off, in which they have a couple of off days in there. So he'll really only miss seven, eight games. Um, in that span and should be back but they'll need to get through this week and we'll see we'll see how the defense looks up the middle and um you know they'll probably play Valdez against against right-handed pitching and Dahlbeck against left-handers for the next week yeah uh proper number to my favorite defensive run saved real quick um KK Hernandez uh leads the Red Sox with a minus four Valdez at a minus one. It's all like at a zero, which is better than I thought. So, <laughs> uh, it's a had too many total opportunities. For a total of a minus five. Yep. We were rolling out there. Yep. They got David Hamilton. <laughs> it's not who, great. Uh, is hitting 311 with 20 stolen bases at Worcester just sitting there. And as much as, you know, I understand that you know, has some trouble with pitches up in the zone and might not be ready for the bigs, I'd love to just get a look and see. Even for a few games, if, if Hamilton has anything to offer, because every time I pull up a box, I think he has a few home runs as well. Every time I've pulled up a minor league box score in the last couple of weeks, Hamilton has a couple of hits and a couple of steals, and you know, might be worth seeing. This this might be the week that is worth seeing what he has to offer until Arroyo comes back, but doesn't look like it is to be. All right, um, we had some good gmail questions we had some twitter questions so we'll finish off the show with that 
um, unless there were any other hitters or pitchers that I forgot to mention, Keaton, that you wanted to hit on. We can move on to nope. this. Alrighty. Uh, TJ McPhee, longtime listener of the show. Thanks for the Gmail question. He said, um, first one was, what are the chances that Shane Trohan is able to help Boston this year? He's 24 and absolutely dominating double A. What does he still need to work on? Um, and then the second question, what are your thoughts on the possibility of the Sox trading one of its left-handed bats as part of a package for a starting pitcher? Perhaps sell high on Duran, Verdugo, or Valdez, even McGuire. So, uh, Keaton, do you want to take the second question first, and then I'll hit on Drohan after that? Sure. Um, trading one of the left-handed bats started as a part of a package for a starting pitcher um, I'm all for that because this st- starting pitching needs a whole lot of help. Um, McGuire, I think, is definitely a possibility, especially, I mean, I just talked about how much I love Wong and how great he is and how much I want to see him play every day. So there's no need. <laughs> so um, that is one that I think you could cut loose. Um Verdugo, I don't think would make sense just because um, I think uh, that falls more into the plans of the team, unless for some reason he was asking for like a stupid amount of money, but I don't think that's the case. Um, Duran, maybe, on a sell high. Valdez is a little bit confusing. Um, I mean, you, you just touched on like, He's proven it offensively, but defensively, don't really know if he has a home anywhere right now, which is really difficult to put a, a bit of a value on. You don't know if he just can't do it at the major league level or just still needs more coaching and development, but the bat clearly doesn't. Uh, it's, it's kind of in a weird spot. Yeah. Um, that definitely has some kind of value to it, though. Uh, the other thing is, if they did trade Valdez, um, that would mean Bobby Dalbach every day in the middle of the field. So that's, I mean, at least right now, that's a, that's a tough thing to think about. Yeah, so the only <laughs> that would have the to happen. Only scenario little, that's little happening. Ways. Yeah, yeah. Like the last week of July, Mondesi's back in June. Story's back in July. They have yeah. four middle infielders that they feel comfortable with. There's a still a clear need at starting pitcher and Valdez has shown that he can hit he might even be someone that could be considered as like a designated hitter type you know backup second baseman designated hitter I could I could see that path I agree with you um with Duran yeah and Verdugo that yeah it's not gonna happen with Verdugo but with Duran you know the yeah it would I think with Duvall being on a one-year contract and if Duran is showing that he belongs, that, you know, what what's your plan at center field? If you trade Duran, then you have to go out and make another yeah. one-year signing <laughs> or go after a, an outfielder that can handle center field at Fenway in the offseason. And, um, you know, unless it's a perfect deal for, for a, a top starter and Duran's the one of the two main pieces for it. That's exactly what I was going to say is McGuire is the only one where – Either he has been replaced or there is depth. Right. right. Yeah. Like 
all every single one of those other guys you can't move because it requires more movement to like replace them. Like you could move Duran, but then you gotta put Kike in center, and then you have to make another move for short at shortstop. Right. So they like there's no depth anywhere. That's the thing. I mean, and that that kind of goes back to like I was gonna say the first thing we talked about, but then it was like the first and the second and the third and the last that we talked about this off season was just the depth. Yeah. And how there isn't any. So uh, McGuire is really the only one I think they can make a move and not massively shake up the rest of the lineup. Um, they need everybody else to be healthy in order to do that. But then, even if everybody else is healthy, I'm not. Yeah, and I mean, that he's, he's a good left-handed bat to complement what I think that Wong and Maguire complement each other well. Um, sure. You know, kind of for pinch hit type purposes, and Maguire is hitting over 300. Yeah, you have to you have to give something up to get something, but then you're without the backup catcher and you almost would be looking for a left-handed bat if you needed one. So I don't know. I think Valdez would be the most likely of that group that I could see getting moved. And only if every middle infielder that we've talked about for three months comes back healthy, which doesn't seem likely either. So, um, the second question regarding Drohan, he's been awesome and arguably is the best pitching prospect in the organization right now, which might sound crazy because he wasn't really ranked there. But he now has, in 29 innings, he struck out 30 batters. He's allowed 20 base runners. Um, And he's been good every time out. He had six shutout innings over the weekend to go to 5-0. His ERA is 0.62. And I wrote up a bit of a prospects report two weeks ago, and I talked about Drohan in there and about how, you know, his velocity has increased, but not in one of those alarming ways, like all of these stud prospects that have been coming up lately and throwing 98, 99, or adding three ticks of velo and need Tommy John surgery two weeks later with Mason Miller in Oakland being the latest name today that is having arm troubles, so... Yeah, I mean, there's just one after another, and you hear, oh, this guy's adding velocity. That's not always the best thing. But with Drohan, he was an 88 to 92 guy previously, and then now he's sitting in the 92 to 93 range, and he's topping out at 95, and he added a cutter, which is his fourth pitch. So, like I said, he's been good every time out. He's had a couple of really high strikeout games, uh, ERA under one, and. With Brian Mata, who has not been able to find the plate. He's had more walks than innings pitched. I think he's going to get moved to the bullpen pretty soon. Um, you know, Walter and Murphy, there really hasn't been anyone at AAA that has done what what is expected from, um, a, from a prospect. So Drohan, out of nowhere, who was not really a top 10 prospect on any of the lists going into the season, is pitching deep into games, and he's striking batters out, and he has good control. Um, added more pitches, added velocity. That's everything that you want to see. And as TJ mentioned, he's 24 years old. Will he be able to help this year? I don't know. I think that, you know, he's still at Portland 
and he'll need to, to get up to Worcester, which I'm sure that he will by June, and see what happens there. You know, could he be a lefty out of the bullpen this year with the transition to be a starter next year? I wouldn't rule that out if he continues to do this at Worcester as well. Um, I don't think it's impossible, especially with his age, and you don't want to waste bullets in the minor leagues when you've got guys like this. So what are the chances he's helping Boston this year? Probably one out of three, I would say. Um, but he's doing kind of checking all of those boxes for sure. I think it's less than that even, to yeah. be honest. I think maybe it's like a 10% chance. That, so the Red Sox have been aggressive with, and we'll, I mean, this is uh, also something we'll touch on in one of our later questions, but they have been aggressive at times with prospects, but it's generally top prospects, and it's also generally hitting prospects. Um, he had 24 innings at, at Portland last year, so it's, it's not like he's real established at the level yet. So while he's crushing it right now, he really needs to have like a pretty decent sample size to make the jump and then, again, continue that success at the next level. So I really feel like the earliest possible, like best-case scenario would be a September call-up, yeah. which still may, ha- may happen, but it wouldn't be really a significant uh, kind of – contribution to the team this year if that were the case they would need um, to have an injury list like they had in june and july last year that led to yeah bayo i mean you know they did call bayo up at 23 years old he might have even been 22 when he made his debut um so they were aggressive top there prospect. but yeah i mean he was a, he, he was a top prospect rohan might be that soon but they have they've built in a lot more depth with the seven starters that we talked about and then you've got cutter crawford who has experience and so he's more like ninth or 10th on the list. And that's why I don't see him getting any starts this year, but you know, yeah. he, he could be something out of, out of the bullpen. I think it's closer to the number you said for, you know, getting any starts this year. I even think, yeah, like even with the September call up, I still would expect that to be something in the bullpen. Yep. All right. Uh, two more questions. Lurchimus says, is there anything creative to do at the trade deadline? If, this trend continues. I believe he means the team playing well. Or is the only option to cross your fingers? The luxury tax thing last year is even more infuriating now. Um, I think the last part is, you know, I'll, I can start with this one. I think the last part, I totally agree with. The luxury tax thing last year is even more infuriating now because we talked plenty in the offseason, but just they had opportunities like simply trading JD Martinez out to get under the luxury tax and for them to have to think about the penalties associated with a second consecutive year under the luxury tax that that would be constricting them from making a major move is as you said infuriating um but that being said they they have some space you know we we're both looking at some some various numbers on different websites. Could be anywhere between what you have, Keaton, maybe twelve million. I saw more like five or six. You know, we we never exactly know right how far they are away from the tax, but it's not zero. And August first, you only have to pay one third of the salary if you bring in any players. And if you don't have enough space or you need to kind of 
mess around with the numbers a little bit, you can always throw a prospect the other way and have the team that is trading the player take on a portion of the salary. So they have room. I don't think that this is the team. I think if they're in it, um, that they can trade for an arm. They could trade, <laughs> I would say, for a middle infielder, but they've already told us they're not going to do that. So, um, you know, maybe they'll be more inclined to do so if that's if middle infield is a problem in July. But I don't know. What do you think, Keaton? I, I feel like it's um, they can definitely make moves if they are playing 550 or 600 ball in mid-July. Yeah, there is definitely the room for it. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, there's room for it. I mean, you laid it out. It's not taking on a, a full salary for the year. Um, so there are things you can do to be creative to help the team, um, especially with what teams are, are willing to part with when – you know, their team control is over and their season's done. Um, you know, once we see, once we see who is uh, actually on the block, and they kind of start to zone in on these. Yeah, there's there's plenty of moves that they'll they should be able to make at the trade deadline um, if they are continuing to. If their lack of depth hasn't bit them in the ass yet, no. Which, I really hope it doesn't because it's uh it's fun to win games. I want to do more of that. So, yeah, I think so this, there definitely is there's this room for it, and there they should be creative enough to get that done. Yeah, I think the standings are really interesting too. I mean, especially with the six playoff yeah. teams, um, everybody's kind of pointing to the number of wins. The Red Sox have played the most games in all of baseball with 36 entering Monday, but with 583 winning percentage. Um, outside of Tampa, I mean. Baltimore has 13 losses. Rangers have 13 losses. Toronto has 14. Boston has 15. Then you've got Minnesota and the Angels with 16. And the Yankees, Mariners, and Astros with 17. That is five, six, seven, eight, nine teams that are within four losses of each other. And it's just so bunched up. And I think that after Tampa, the American League is going to be a crazy playoff race in every division, in every wild card. There are teams like Houston that are at 500, Seattle's at 500, Cleveland is three games under that you know will will find enough pitching to make it work. There are 11 or 12 interesting teams in the American League, um, so I think that there's going to be a lot of teams that are kind of competing to to make some moves around the trade deadline. But I also I don't think you're not going to win the division with the way that Tampa's playing, but they should be looking to make moves for a wild card spot, um, you know, with, unless a complete collapse happens. I, I think the standings are very interesting so far. All right, two more questions. Uh, Gordon Comstock says, how close are we to the pivot in the media narrative from Bloom had a mediocre and insufficient offseason to the only reason the Red Sox are performing well is that Bloom got accidentally lucky because no one could have counted on this many of his evaluations paying off. Um, what do you think, Keaton? Do you, are you seeing any shift in the narrative with Bloom? Do you think that um, it could go this direction, or do you think it's just kind of it's been one week, so let's see how the season plays out here? Uh, well, I... 
already had seen someone wrote an article about it being time to give Heim Bloom credit. And so I went to just go find it. And it was six days ago, and it was Rob Radford. So I changed my mind. No, we don't need to consider that. Um, but I also did notice that um, uh, Adam Jones today on WEI did a whole segment about it's time to give Bloom credit, and I haven't gotten a chance to listen to it, but apparently the comments underneath say that this is very positive analysis. So I'm uh, interested to hear what that has to say. Positive analysis but, uh, from Adam Jones, huh? <laughs> yeah, right. That's why I'm like, mm, yeah. okay. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, so really interested to know if that's sarcastic or if that's serious. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I think it's already kind of starting to happen, but not quite in the um, – I love how Gordon framed this in still a negative way <laughs> to Bloom. <laughs> so it's not not quite uh, in, in that same mindset, but, yeah, it's already starting to happen where uh, at least some folks are starting to say, hmm, maybe this team is good. I'm still – I mean, yeah, this is really good that they're winning games and they haven't gotten bit in the ass yet. But it has a very – I mean, not quite – 2021 feel to it but there there's too many things going right yeah right i mean like we even with all the success they're having we just outlined how the starting pitching is absolute garbage they have no middle infield depth and guys are playing way above their heads right now yep we know that's not going to continue no so yeah we'll take the wins while we're having them and we know that this team can be good and fun, but there's still work to do on this roster. And that's what they cannot rely on the success and just hope it continues. They need to see the potential of this team and solidify it. I think you said it perfectly. I think it's a fun team. It's an interesting season so far. Um, so many games have been must watch and back and forth and, I mean, there's. I think of the game against Toronto where Kike made the two errors, but they still pulled it out in the ninth inning with a Verdugo home run like that. That sums it up for me, right? Like, they were ahead. They were in a good spot. They made some errors. They got the clutch hit. Back and forth. Won the game. Wild AL East game. That's how the division's going to be the whole year with five teams yeah. over 500 at once. Um, but there, there are holes in the shitty starting pitching right now so yeah i i think you summarized it very well there um then the last question from owen uh red sox junkie says do you think there's a chance we see um marcelo meyer in boston this year or is he still a year or two away with club control like what the blue jays did with vlad jr um so this one for me is actually a yes um unlike Drohan, because, again, top prospect, hitting prospect, and given the state of the middle infield, the Red Sox have been really aggressive with their top hitting prospects. And guys like uh, Benintendi, Mankata, Devers all barely played in the upper minors before they made their debuts with Boston. Meyer could be that exact same way. Um, he still doesn't have a ton. Uh, it's less than 50 games at high A. So, like, still needs kind of a sample size there. 
Um, maybe a little bit more there. But if he makes the jump to double A and like has a month like he's doing now, they may just give him like a couple weeks at triple A or uh, like with some of their other uh, top prospects, just have him skip triple A altogether and just say, dude, we got nobody else. So <laughs> give it a try. Yeah, I I think it's going to be next year. And I think even if it is next year, that that's going to be still a fast track. And I think that's fine. I mean, he's 20 yeah, years it old. Would be. Um, and I think the ETA, um, you know, on a lot of sites have him at 2025. So, you know, that's what Sox Actually, Prospect guess- has him at. And I think others believe that he can debut in 2024. I don't think it's impossible. I don't think it's a crazy question or anything like that. And, I mean, it leads into the one other note that we wanted to fit in here is that he was the South Atlantic League Player of the Week. He had 516 with nine extra base hits, eight runs, and 10 RBI in six games over the past week. Um, so Pretty good. Yeah, he's been very good. Uh, you know, had a couple injuries last year and talked about learning from those injuries and, and staying on the field um, in an athletic article last month that I thought was interesting. Um, and he wasn't the only one that got some hardware with C.J. Liu, the Portland right-hander, uh, threw a seven-inning no-hitter against Akron on Friday. And, um, you know, he's 3-1 and one with a 365 ERA. Not one of the top starting prospects, but is somebody that that has been on, on various lists and kind of had some ups and downs and had some really good velocity was thrown up near 100 i think when he first got into the system so good to see that that he's pitching well and had a a no hitter last week and um meyer having a great week as well so yeah i don't know i'm I'm putting that at less than i'm putting that at about five percent for this year but he is slat marcelo meyer is slashing 337 414 582 in uh 23 games at high A, so yeah, not bad. Interesting to see, not bad. Will be interesting to see when he does make the jump to Portland. So, yeah, I realized uh, after I reread this that there was a percent chance, not a yes or no. So I'm gonna go fifty-fifty this year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, given I given the you know their propensity to be aggressive with these type of prospects and the state of the middle infield, yeah, why not fifty-fifty. The hottest take of the episode at the uh, 68-minute mark. Very well done, Keaton. You're welcome. I really should have waited one more minute. All right, we're now in the 69th minute of the red seat, so we're going to wrap it up right there before uh, that ends. Uh, you can reach me at good 15 and Keaton at the Spoken Keats. Jake will be back next week at Dev Jake, and uh, you can email us at redseatpodcast at gmail.com been a great 69 minutes and we will see you next week. 